So one minute delay means seven pounds tossed away. to Dairy Science Digest. This is a podcast designed to bring the Journal of Dairy Science straight to the ears of dairy producers. I'm Reagan Blue with the University of Missouri Dairy Team, and today we're discussing on-farm tools to assess your parlor efficiency. And Dr. Matthias Whelan from the College of Veterinary Medicine with Cornell University is here to help us better understand what key data points we need to be looking for. He co-authored the featured article titled The Comparison of Two Types of Milk Flow Meters for Detecting Bimodality in Dairy Cows. So before we get kicked off, could you please introduce yourself to the audience? Yes, sure. Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me today on the podcast. I mean, it is my honor to share our results and what we found during the study. Uh, my name is Matthias Wieland, as you said. I'm an assistant professor with Quality Milk Production Services at the College of Veterinary Medicine at Cornell University. A little bit background information to my person. I grew up on a very small dairy farm. We had 21 dairy cows uh, in rural Germany in the Southwest. Then after the high school, I did an apprenticeship first, an agricultural apprenticeship for two years. I then went to vet school in Munich, um, worked at the clinic for ruminants um, of Ludwig Maximilians University in Munich for several years. And then in 2013, I came to Cornell, did a residency clinical fellowship program. And then in 2017, I joined the group of quality milk production services and did my PhD. And since this year in April, I'm an assistant professor with quality milk production services. Can you describe a little bit more what the Quality Milk Production Services in Cornell does for dairy producers? Our mission at QMPS is to sustain and improve milk quality and food safety and secure safe and secure food for the population in New York State, but also beyond. And the way we do it is through research, service, and teaching. My research program very specifically is applied research uh, mostly. I try to bring questions back from my service activities, from our dairy operators, from the farmers, and then conduct um, control studies, observational studies, and then translate that back into the field so that they can directly use it. Our uh, service component is stratified into um, a lab component. So we take uh, milk samples and then provide the culture results from milk samples, but also from other environmental samples like bedding, dip, brush, towels to help the dairy farmers make uh, good management uh, decisions. The field service component is basically conduct herd surveys, um, for a small dairy farm, we go out, collect all milk samples from the cows and bring them back to the lab, run aerobic testing and testing for mycoplasma if desired. In addition, we can also uh, run for somatic cell count. We evaluate the equipment, the environment, as well as the cows. And uh, based on that data that we collect during such a survey, we make, again, management decisions to help the dairy farmers improve milk quality and other health on their farms. On the large dairy operation for the herd surveys, we include some more data interpretation and focus more on the parlor, on parlor efficiency, or on the facility. It sounds like you're really kind of the glue between the dairy producers, the dairy industry, and, and those that are servicing the dairy industry to 
merge together the data that's needed to ensure that you're doing everything that you need to make high quality milk. Uh, and this this particular project that you've recently published, the article in press, appears to be targeting a, a question that maybe came up asking, does the milk meters that are installed in this particular rotary parlor, do the milk meters and the data from those milk meters actually capture the information that we need to determine by modality? Um, is that is that really the target of the project? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. The goal was to to facilitate detection of bimodality on a dairy operation and on that farm that is a large dairy operations. They're milking more than four thousand cows three times per day. Um, what we used to do and what we still do is we bring out a portable milk flow meter to our herd surveys to the farm um, and that milk flow meter um, is the lactocorder. The lactocorder is produced in Switzerland. Um, it started in the 90s. I actually got in touch the first time um, during my agricultural apprenticeship. So in the 90s, mm -hmm. um, when they started graphing the milk flow curves and actually for the first time able to graphically show what we believe is a good or a bad milk ejection in cows and um, is the definition for a bimodal milk flow curve. Those are pictured there in figure two, correct? And, and I can yes. attach that to the podcast. So yeah. those of you listening, don't hesitate to go into the comments and, and click on the picture. You can clearly see on the left is an example of a bimodal curve versus the right. And those that are driving down the road listening, can you describe what that looks like? What is bimodality and, and what phase of that milk curve does it impact? Yes, uh, certainly. So I'll start with the um, four phases of milk flow curves. The first one is the incline phase where the milk flow rate increases up to a plateau phase. And that is actually the second phase. Plateau phase is the second when the milk flow reaches its maximum and stays there for several minutes, um, depending on the milk yield and the milkability of the cow. Um, once the milk flow rate decreases again, uh, we consider that as the decline phase. So the milk flow rate decreases. And then once the milk flow rate reaches 400 milliliters minute, then we consider that as overmilking phase. So mm. um, again, incline phase, plateau phase, incline phase, and then the overmilking phase. Um, when we define the bimodality, we're specifically looking into the incline phase because this is where the D difference is. In a normal milking observation or that is um, reflected by a um, stellar milk flow uh, curve, we see an instant incline up to a high plateau. In case of a bimodal milk flow curve, we see actually an initial increase up to a certain level um, of milk flow rate that is then followed, however, by a subsequent decrease. So we refer to that as a milk flow reflux. So after an initial increase, we do see a decrease and that decrease is then followed by a second increase that then usually reaches a lower plateau phase compared with a, a milk flow curve of a well-stimulated cow. What's happening in the cow to create that decrease? Why why does the milk stop? Um, excellent question. So we know that 
this the first initial increase is due to the harvest of the cisternal milk. So when we look at a milking observation or the milk components, we discriminate between the cisternal milk and the alveolar milk. The cisternal milk makes up to 20% whereas the alveolar milk makks up to 80%. The cisternal milk is um, readily available. So we attach the milking unit and we can harvest that cisternal milk. So 20% of the milk is ready to be harvested immediately, even without any pre-milking stimulation. That is completely different for the alveolar milk. So in order to be able to harvest the alveolar milk, we need to stimulate the cow. And um, uh, that happens through tactile stimulation of the teats. There are mechanoreceptors that trigger a signal that goes up to the brain, to the pituitary, um, releases oxytocin, and then we need to give time so that the oxytocin can travel from the brain to the alveoli bind to the receptors of the myopithelial cells, so muscle cells that surround the alveoli like a basket. And after the oxytocin binds to those receptors, it actually triggers contraction, and that squeezes out the milk into the duct system. And only if the cow is stimulated well, and if we give the cow enough time so that the oxytocin can travel through the blood to the udder, to see a nice unimodal milk flow curve. Yes. If we don't stimulate the cow well enough, or if we don't give enough time for the oxytocin to do the job, well, then we often see that characteristic bimodal milk flow where we harvest the cisternal milk first, then the milk flow breaks. We need to wait. Actually, the milking liner then stimulates the cow, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. takes over the stimulation. And after a delay, uh, we then are able to harvest uh, the alveolar milk, and that is characterized by the bimodality. Just as less efficient. If you if you look at it here on the graph, you can just see how much more efficient a well-stimulated animal is, and it really speaks to the importance of of stimulating that cow. And I know we've talked about this for decades, but it's it's really intriguing if you guys pause for just a minute and remember, we walk into the barn and we go to chore and we think we're going to go milk the cows when in reality, you're not milking the cows. She's stimulated. She's releasing that milk, but you're stimulating the cow. We just get into a rogue pattern of that we are milking the cows when in fact she is releasing the milk for us based on our on our performance. Yeah. So when you observe this bimodality, what negative impact does bimodality have on your herd? Yeah. Uh, so the a lot of research actually has been done um, in Europe as well as here. And first and foremost, uh, we believe to know that bimodality is associated with decreased milk. Um, Ron Erskine and his group, they came up with the slogan, one minute delay, and they refer to the milk ejection. So one minute delay means seven pounds tossed away. So they conducted wow. a, yeah, they conducted a research study on one large dairy operation in Michigan and found that up to seven pounds of milk per milking session wow. in a 3x herd may be left on the table in cows with delayed milk ejection, so bimodality. And interestingly, we found very, very similar results in one study um, that we conducted on five New York state dairy operations. We found not seven pounds, but very close to. So very consistent data from New York state dairy cows 
cows with bimodal milk ejection or bimodal milk flow curve have lower milk yield. In a uh, recent study um, uh, that we conducted, and actually we followed the cows for the duration of one week and looked into cows that basically are, if I may use that term, are repeated offenders. So cows that show bimodality over and over and over again. And when we look at the average daily milk yield between cows that had no bimodality at all and those that showed on a 3x herd, so 21 milking observations, so a bimodal milk flow curve during each of those 21 milk flow observations, we found that difference in milk yield is up to 40 pounds, which is a huge number, right? Yes, yes. Some researchers may argue, well, um, it is an it was an observational study, so you do not know chicken or egg, right? So what comes first? So it's non-directional, uh, or we cannot attack the direction of that association yet. Um, so some researchers may argue, well, well, they believe decreased milk or lower milk yield is associated with a, a bimodality. Ron Erskine and myself and some others may argue the reality may be uh, somewhere in between the 40 pounds and no difference in milk yield. So we believe that there is some milk to harvest when we start stimulating the cows in an appropriate manner and diminish the bimodality in the cows through individual or proper stimulation. So how does bimodality negatively impact the cow? Oh, yeah. Excellent question. Yeah. So first of all, um, well, we talked about the decreased milk yield that um, we believe is associated with um, bimodality. And what we also observe is that actually bimodal milking observations take longer. So to harvest the same amount of milk, the milking unit is on for a longer time. So milking efficiency is decreased. And there's an inverse relationship between milk flow rate and the vacuum that the teat is actually exposed to. So anytime that the milk flow rate decreases, the vacuum force that is um, that the teat is exposed to increases. So in case of a bimodal during that milk reflux in the nadir, the teat is exposed to higher vacuum and that creates congestion in edema. And we um, believe or know um, uh, that that congestion has been associated with increased mastitis risk. So it decreases the ability of the teat to defend itself from pathogens that may be at the teat canal and try to enter the teat canal. So it cannot fight those bacteria. And um, with bimodality, we believe that due to the um, increased congestion in edema, that the mastitis risk and the risk for new infections is also increased. Absolutely. I know that perhaps sometimes when you have those chronic offenders or chronically delayed milk ejection cows, you just need to call them. And I recognize calling is a is a strategy, but but what if you what if you know that there's a specific cow that you that has this chronic issue and you would like to continue to perpetuate her in the herd? What What are some strategies for dairy producers that know that they have a cow with this problem? How can they how can they fix that or or work around it to the best of their ability? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And that brings me actually to my research 
uh, align or my research area, we actually try to identify those cows with electronic on-farm milk meters, so cows mm -hmm. that are repeated offenders. And then the next step is actually to provide them with supplemental stimulation. And what we're going to do is we're going to add some supplemental stimulation through the milking machine, so through the pulsation system. And there oh, are some, I yeah, see. there are some parlor that already have that system built in where we just need to to switch it on, optimize it, then uh, test the effect on milk yield and milking duration as well as the animal welfare. So first of all, we want to know, do the cows like the supplemental stimulation? And then second, do they benefit from it? And what does it mean long-term on other health parameters? So just to make sure I'm understanding what you're saying, the, the parlor will recognize the cow ID, and that cow ID has been flagged by a manager reviewing the data as being a bimodality issue. And that that pulsation changes for that unique animal? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Wow, that's yes, incredible. Yeah. You know, it, <laughs> some yeah. ladies are just, you know, high high maintenance, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, wow, yeah. that's really fascinating. Imagine, mm. um, so if you're telling me in this other project, there's about 40 pounds of milk to to maybe gather up uh, somewhere between 21 to 40-ish, Wow, all of a sudden that yeah. technology becomes becomes justifiable. Um, yes, yeah, which yeah, absolutely. Kind of floods yeah. me into my next question. So if if we have a listener out there that's looking to build build a parlor, what are some important questions that they need to ask their dealer about the specific meters or software? Is there anything specific about that equipment that they ought to get to get the best equipment out there? Yes, the, definitely. First of all, the I believe that most dairy equipment or all dairy equipment uh, manufacturers that we work with do have excellent on-farm milk meter technologies. There, there are a couple of things that dairy operators may want to consider. One of the bigger differences is whether they purchase a dump meter or a milk flow-through meter, what we refer to the dump meter. So a vessel that needs to be filled up to a certain level where the electrode is positioned. And once that electrode is reached, the dump is initiated. The software knows how much that vessel contains. And then the milk flow rate or the milk yield is calculated and subsequently the milk flow rate. The flow-through meter, conversely, they measure the milk flow through near infrared. And one of the biggest differences between those two, the flow-through and the dump meter, is that the maintenance for the dump meter is higher. They need to be rebuilt and cleaned on a regular basis, depending on what the manufacturers recommends. But usually it is at least twice a year that the dump meters need to be maintained or rebuilt. Perfect. Let's say that these managers do invest in the higher quality equipment. How frequently or, or what protocol would you recommend that they use as far as reviewing this data? How much is too much data or, or how frequently should they be looking at these uh, parlor efficiency data to, to make tangible, meaningful changes in their herd. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What we do on our farms, and we figured that it works very well, is if monitor up to three 
parameters and that we work with them together. We, we figure out what is most important to them. We select three parameters from the on-farm milk flow meters and then actually highlight them on a daily basis, stratified by milking shift. So if a herd milks three times per day, we do have three reports that are printed and uh, that are posted milking technicians. And what actually then happens is that they, in an ideal scenario, they start an internal competition based on those three parameters. So for example, if a farm is very up to milking or parlor efficiency, milking duration, or parlor throughput, maybe the uh, the two parameters that the milking technicians are interested in. And they try to get the best out of each milking shift. If a farm is into gentle milking, they, they may choose the 30 to 60 milk flow rate and create a threshold there and then use an ample, a traffic light system with green, yellow, and red, and then highlight how each milking shift has been doing. And that gives a daily feedback on individual milking shifts. So once that. a day, three milking parameters um, in our experience is an excellent uh, way to give constant feedback and constantly improve on your dairy operation. As you're working with some of these more progressive dairymen, do you have any feedback as far as, are there any bonuses or, or something? Have you observed any very effective HR resources that we could disseminate throughout the nation listening here that would help uh, other managers seeking ways to encourage their employees through through a bonus system or through this this graph system, do they need to be paid or do they just really enjoy seeing that feedback? That differs actually among farms. And I, I do know a couple of farms who actually pay the bonuses on uh, one of the incremental milk flow rates. So I believe that paying a bonus based on the milking technician's performance evaluated with the data from the on-farm milk flow meter technology actually can increase overall parlor efficiency. So definitely paying a bonus based on milk flow parameters um, has been a successful tool in on some of our dairy operators operations. Not all, but definitely some are using the 30 to 60 milk flow rate or the, the two-minute milk yield mm -hmm. um, to base their bonuses on. I don't know the details, but mm -hmm. um, uh, those also vary among firms. Yeah. I see. Well, we're always thinking about workforce and thinking about somehow rewarding those that are very effective. And this might be a quantifiable tool to allow you to genuinely reward great behavior. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Well, Matthias, this has been very informative. I want to thank you so much for your time. And listeners, I applaud you for taking time out of your day today to learn about how you could use data from your parlor to improve milking efficiency throughout your herd. I've really enjoyed our conversation, and this has been the December edition of the Dairy Science Digest, which is a monthly podcast project designed to bring the Journal of Dairy Science straight to the ears of dairy producers. We highlight only peer-reviewed research articles that are actively impressed. It's sound science that you can base your management decisions around provided by your University of Missouri dairy team. So be sure to like, share, and subscribe to get future editions straight to your cell phone. This is Reagan Bluell with the Dairy Science Digest, and I hope you have a great day.